Let's get into the word this morning. We are going to be picking up our study in Acts chapter 5. We'll begin in verse 17 this morning, but we're going to kind of get a running start at context before we jump right into the text. But let us pray. As we pray, know that I am I'm stealing the topic of this prayer from another in this room. She's telling me just what she's been asking the Lord for, and I am in total agreement with that prayer. So, Father, our Heavenly Father, we come to you in boldness and in humility in and through the name of your Son, Jesus, our Savior, our priest, In him, Lord, we come to you. Because of who he is as the author and the perfecter of our faith, we're asking you this morning that you'd perfect our faith. Lord, through your word, through your spirit, through our interaction with you and with one another, Lord, that you would cause us to grow and mature in our love for you, our understanding of you, are following you in this life. This life. Your life that you have granted to us. Eternal life that you have provided through your sacrifice and through your resurrection. We desire to look like you. To be perfect as you were perfect. To be holy as you were holy. Make us look like Jesus. We beg you, Lord. Take these minds, these hearts, these lives. And let us shine you brightly. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So we continue on in Acts. We're sitting in a letter. And it's a letter from one man to another man. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke is writing to Theophilus, and this just isn't the writings of an individual man. This isn't a man in relationship with Jesus Christ, who the Holy Spirit is divinely moving his mind and his heart as he's investigated who Jesus is, what happened historically, and he's encouraging his brother, Theophilus, I want you to know that you know that you know Jesus. In the core of who you are, in your life context, in your life experience, the things that I am writing down for you is so that you can be confident and so that you can be assured of the things that you've been taught concerning who this man Jesus is. And as Acts, the book of Acts continues on, this is what he's beginning with. Now in that information, you're, you're sure of who Jesus Christ is. You know that you know him. You understand him, who he is, what he did, what he was teaching, how he's changed you and transformed you, the hope that we have in him. Now, Theophilus, as he ascended to heaven, here's his final instructions to his followers. And his final instructions is, I will empower you. I will make you able to be my witnesses in this world, whether it's in Jerusalem or Samaria to the ends of the world, here in Alpharetta, regardless of the time, the place. I'm going to enable you and empower you through the Father and myself sending the promise of the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. I, 
The Father is in you. I, Jesus, I am in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. And I am in you in relationship with you. I am in you to conform you and change you. I'm here to empower you to interact with the other relationships that you have in this life, whether they are loved ones or whether they are strangers or whether they are enemies. I'm here to enable you to tell other people about what you know about me, what you've experienced about me. This is the beautiful thing as we gather together as a community. We all have our individual relationships with the Lord, our backgrounds. Some of us have healthy backgrounds. Some of us have very damaged backgrounds. Some of us have healthy current contexts or damaged current contexts. And we get to, as we were just singing in this last song, I'm telling my soul daily, remember who Jesus is. I'm witnessing to myself. I have to remember who he has been to me in the past. I have to remember of the old man that he took and that he cleaned up, the dead man that he gave new life to in me and my context. It causes me to pour forth praise as I've followed him for the last 20 years. I've had the good seasons and the bad seasons. I've had the Lord, where are you moments and the Lord, here you are moments. And this is what we're watching as Jesus is doing his work and people who are responding to him in the book of Acts. And these initial chapters, we have the promise of the Holy Spirit that has come. That first sermon of Peter, as he is speaking to, there's this miracle that is performed. The people gather because of that miracle. He's preaching them to them the truth out of the Old Testament. And he uses this phrase in chapter 2, and we're going to come back to this later on. This is why I'm bringing it up now. So 2 verse 37 says, those that are listening, that they were cut to the heart, literally that they were pierced to the heart. And we're watching those who are pierced to the heart in regards to the name of Jesus. As we talk to them about the name of Jesus, it's, all, it's his nature, it's his character, it's who he is as a being. So it's not just some magical name that we say, it's not some man's tradition, ideals, and all these kinds of things. We're talking about the very person of who our God is that became a man for the purpose of dying on the cross, for our sins, for our crimes. We've had multiple snapshots in regards to those who were cut to the heart and that come into the community of what the community is, is doing as they are interacting with one another in love. In chapter 3, we see this a miracle that's performed on a man who is over 40 years old. He is healed miraculously because of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It enables Peter to preach another sermon. This gets the attention of the religious leaders. They bring them together. They tell them and threaten them not to speak in this name any further. The church prays for boldness to continue to not just preach the message, but that God would confirm that he is there, that he is here, that he is present, that he would grant miracles to be performed, that he would be the one who would stretch out his hand and heal. So that people would know who he is. 
Again, a couple of snapshots of what's going on in the culture and the community as those in Jerusalem are responding to his name and they're coming together, they're gathering daily, they're gathering weekly, they're there in their context, they have a social context, they have a political context, they have a religious context. We can sit, you know, people sit in this information for doctorate degrees and they've been sitting in it for 2,000 years to attempt to help us understand the culture, the climate, But as we sit in this, we have to understand what's going on in our culture, our context. How do we apply this in our lives? This is why I'm camping on this. So this morning, this first verse of chapter 5, verse 17, says that the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. They were filled with jealousy. So as we begin this morning, what's already gone on? As Luke is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's writing to Theophilus. There's a very specific message that he is conveying, this repeated cycle of here are the witnesses of Christ. Here is how the culture is responding to this witness. Some are receiving, others are rejecting. In regards to the testimony that there's all these incredible miracles that are being performed by the Lord through the apostles... The culture is coming and hearing the message. The culture is coming and they're being healed. And it's come to the attention once again to the religious leaders of the community. Not just the religious leaders, but the civic leaders of the community. So when we talk about here in verse 17, that the high priest rose up. This is Caiaphas. And to give clarity to who Caiaphas is, in John chapter 11, gives us a snapshot just of his background. John chapter 11 is after Jesus has caused Zacchaeus, not Zacchaeus, um, Lazarus, there we go, has caused Lazarus to come back from the dead. Lazarus was dead for four days, brings him back to life. People witness this, they see this. It says in verse 45, many of the Jews who had come to Mary, so the, the sister of Lazarus, and had seen the things Jesus did, they believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do for this man refusing to say the name of Jesus? We're going to see this in Acts. For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Gives us insight to the concern that they have about what Jesus is doing and who Jesus is. They're looking internally. This man is going to upset the social structure, the government structure, and the Romans are going to come, come and take away our place in our nation. So, so one of them, verse 49, Caiaphas, being the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you consider that it is expedient for us, it's advantageous for us, that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say of his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied. He divinely uttered these words, not even understanding their meaning, that Jesus would die for the nation and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. 
says, then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. So as we're in Acts, and it's talking about the high priest rising up, he is rising up in jealousy, he is rising up in anger against the followers of this man that he was speaking about here in regards to his death. And in Jesus' trial, as he is before Caiaphas in Matthew 26, Matthew 26, verse 57 says, Those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest. The scribes and the elders were assembled. Peter's following at a distance. They're seeking false testimony so that they can put him to death so that their plots can be completed. Caiaphas says to Jesus, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. It's a prophecy out of Daniel. And listen to Caiaphas. The high priest, he tore his clothes saying, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need do you have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered, he is deserving of death. So as we are here in the book of Acts, and it says, here is the high priest that is rising up, and all those who are with them, these of this religious division of the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection. These are the ones that are in control of the temple area. Um, they're in control of the political arena. Yes, there's different sects, different, different divisions and, um, you know, political and religious influences going on. But those are the high priest. He's of the Sadducees. They're the ones who are of the ruling class and they are filled with this indignation and anger. Caiaphas is not ignorant to who Jesus is. He's not ignorant to the name of Jesus. Who Jesus was, Caiaphas thought that he dealt with Jesus. Caiaphas thought that he dealt with the followers of Jesus. And now here, as he is in his religious duties as high priest, as he is in his civic duties in regards to his role underneath the authority of Rome, as it's his responsibility to keep peace in the community, here's another division within their own ranks. And this division that's occurring, it's causing him jealousy. It's causing him fear. It's causing him envy. People are listening to the followers of this man that we killed. They're lying and saying that he rose again from the dead. They have all these excuses for the miracles that are being performed. They've already threatened them. Shut up. Do not teach in the name of Jesus. Threatening them. Intimidating them. Now... They continue to listen. They continue to hear the testimony. They're still teaching in the name of Jesus. All these people from these different communities around Jerusalem are bringing their sick. They're being healed in the name of Jesus. Caiaphas is rising up in anger. I titled this morning's message, God Fighting, because later on we're going to have a religious leader that's part of this group 
saying, take heed to yourselves. Be careful that, you're not, that you don't find yourself in a position that you're fighting against God rather than for God. Caiaphas, in, in who he is as a man, as a human being, in his position, he thinks with all that he is, that he is loving God with all of his heart, with all of his mind, with all of his soul, with all of his strength. He thinks that he is doing a service to his God, to his people, to his community, to protect them, to bless them, and to keep them from a religious perversion. He thinks he is fighting on behalf of God. And in this, as, as Jesus was teaching as he's in the community, as he's revealing to human beings, male and female, where they're off in regards to who they think God is, where they're off in regards to the truth of his word. Some received him and came to understanding. Others remained in this position of rejection. And when it comes to the religious and civil leaders of this day, they're going to use violence to put away Opposition, just like we see in many cultures today and even our own. I'm camping on this because as we flow through the text this morning, as we flow through life and our relationship with who Jesus is, as we attempt to follow him according to his enabling, his heart, his mind, understanding who he is through his word, we have constant conflict and other voices, other opinions that are standing in opposition to the name of Jesus that we are attempting to live by his truth, his character, his nature. There's constant opposition telling, telling us to shut up. If you want a relationship with Jesus, fine. Keep it to yourself. Don't tell anybody else. Shut up. That's what our culture tells us. We can sit in a variety of different articles and contexts in our culture. I ran across this, you know, I was studying Thursday morning as I turned attention to just news stories. This is the first article that I read after I'm studying this chapter. And the, the headline of the article says, Texas jury rules against divorced dad trying to stop seven-year-old son's gender transition. So I did further research and looking at different articles. Again, there's, there's a very, people are intentional with how they title articles because it influences our minds in regards to the information that we're going to read thereafter. Another article chose their title says, How the Right, so the Political Right, so now they're making this about politics. So how the right weaponized a seven-year-old trans child. And another phrased it this way. Texas is afraid of a seven-year-old transgender girl. And each one of these brings up different emotions in regards to our culture. In regards to what's going on in our community and the world that we live in. And this is what I want to keep us focused on as often as we're in the Word together, which is often, it's every week, we're here on Wednesdays, we're here on Sundays, we have our own, our private context and devotion with the Lord. The remembering is we are traveling through the divine Word of God. We are not looking at the symptoms of social conditions, but we are looking at the conditions of sinful hearts. 
I'm not going to get, I'm not going to read through the articles. I encourage you to read through it. And I encourage you to read always from a variety of resources to get different perspectives and understanding. But as we pray about this circumstance in our culture, it's going to continue to come up. I'm reading other articles. If you read it on a politically conservative side where they're throwing stones at this side, you get on the politically liberal side and they're throwing other stones right back at the other side. They're using all these different kind of arguments to sway our hearts to what the right behavior ought to be. And again, as we make these determinations in our life on a daily basis, what's right? How do you, how do you pray about this? How do you engage the culture in regards to this subject matter? What would you say about the dad? What would you say about the mom? What would you say about the seven-year-old child? What would you say about those who hold a position that is contrary to your opposition? Or contrary to your position? Where are you getting your position from? We're going to look at this morning as we continue to travel from the text, travel through this text. Make sure that your teacher is Jesus Christ. If you're not sitting at the feet of your God in his words, his heart, his mind, his love, his compassion, how you respond to the circumstances around you, out of your heart, you're going to pour forth speech. Out of your heart, you are going to follow in behavioral actions and do things. So if Jesus is not the king of your heart, that means some other teacher is. And if we listen to political agendas of this world, the political, I don't care what side that you're on and where you line up with, both sides seek to use you to fulfill whatever end that they want. They're going to use a story, both sides are going to weaponize a story like this and attempt to stir up their base so that their base will go and proclaim the same message and end up going to the polling locations on voting day so that whatever their ultimate agendas are, that those agendas will, get, will be put forth and be successful in the culture in America today. And some of those agendas line up with the heart and the teaching of Jesus and others do not. This is why I'm camping on this for a long time in this text this morning because we are watching the religious leaders, those who are standing in my position. This is how I look at myself in the mirror and how I'm asking God to reveal to my heart. Where am I a Sadducee? Lord, open the door of this heart and pierce it with your word. And show me where I'm just like these guys. Where now I'm standing on my religion. I'm standing on my doctrine. I'm standing on me or some other man in some other fashion rather than that I am in Christ. In our political climate, in our cultural climate today, whether it's dealing with sexual issues or racist issues or class issues... Is your heart pouring out curses for those who stand in opposition to you? Or is your heart pouring out the love of Jesus Christ? Jesus tells us to love our enemies, to pray for them. We're going to watch the disciples 
get beat in this text this morning. It hurts to attempt to love another human being and then to have that person respond thinking that you are hating them, thinking that you are attempting to take something away from them rather than to point them to life. Caiaphas is looking at what the apostles are doing. They're looking at the early church in their community. And they are saying the church is against God. And we need to do everything that we can do to crush him. So as we travel on this morning, the blind leaders, they are filled with jealousy. They lay their hands on the apostles. We don't know if it's all 12 of them, if it's just some of them. And puts them into this common prison. And literally, it's, it's not a, it's not a, a private uh, prison where they're awaiting trial. This is a public detention center where it's, uh, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the town drunk would be in there until he sobers up kind of stuff. So this is a public detention area. It's at night. This happens multiple times. The, the night trials are illegal. So here it's the end of the day. They put them into public detention. These guys, I guarantee you, they're sitting down at dinner. They're talking about what they're going to do, how they're going to deal with this problem. They're up early in the morning, ready to deal with this issue. Verse 19 says, but at night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors, opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And this is, this is where it gets back to just keeping focus on Jesus himself. As we watch the apostles, as we watch others in the book of Acts, whether it's the gospels, Acts, and the letters, and our own cultures, we witness people whose hearts are pierced with the Lord. I totally lost my thought. I had, a, I had a thought and whatever it was, it's gone. So, because we're supposed to be focused on Jesus, right? That's where my thought was. Thank you. Um, so we were witnessing them, what they're doing, why they're doing it. Even in the, as they come across different oppositions, we're watching people who have been radically transformed, not with the theology and not with the religion, but with the man, Jesus Christ. So this command of, here's here's an angel of God, the almighty God sent a ministering angel to go and open up the door of this prison and he gave him divine words to say. I want you, God is telling this angel and the angel now goes and tells him, go and tell him to go Go into the public place and speak Jesus. Don't go and speak yourself. Don't go and speak your opinion. But go into the public place and speak. This is what being a witness about Christ is throughout the book of Acts. Yes, we have to live our lives by example and not be hypocrites. But we are to speak. Not our opinions. Not the theologies of a denomination, not various religious divisions, but we are to go and speak, this is who Jesus is. I didn't know who Jesus was 
as God was already convicting my heart in regards to my sin, convicting me, me living in the guilt of what I was doing. And he sent people to me and he sent me into circumstances where people spoke to me about who this man Jesus is. And I will be eternally grateful to those individuals and to those congregations. I just happened to have come. I heard, I heard about Jesus through my wife before we got married. So I get a look at the, her face every single day, reminded about, reminding me of the Lord used her to speak the name of Jesus to me. It's personal to me. It's something that I hold on to. It's something that I'm, I have a lot of gratitude towards. And in receiving that name and that relationship and that understanding and having my faith perfected and growing and maturing and having those seasons where I'm, I'm proud and arrogant and having those seasons where I'm throwing the stones at the head of my enemies and having those convictions. And again, just as following Jesus, being matured in this relationship over time. Recognizing that, Blake, I am calling you to not just have a relationship with me, but in my relationship with you, son, I'm asking you to open your mouth and to tell other people about me. I learned from my pastor in Salt Lake City that I'm just one man showing another man or another woman where I found bread. I'm just one beggar showing another beggar where I found bread. I'm showing other human beings here is life. I question the existence of God. And when I sat down in, in truth and, and pursued out this subject matter, does God exist, yes or no? And these are this subject, this question, you have to answer yourself, right? Does God exist, yes or no? If he doesn't exist, if that's how you land on that question, it's going to set the course of your life. If he does exist, then he gets to the next question. What does he want of me? Why did he make me? And this is the narrative of the entire word of God. He made you to have a relationship with you. He made you to love you. He made you to be one with him. Intimacy, to be like him. In the beginning, God created man in his image, male and female. Relationship. We watch the brokenness of that relationship with God. We see the brokenness of the relationship of other human beings. A lot of that brokenness revolves around how we define who God is. That's the brokenness that we're sitting in here. This is why the apostles are being arrested. And here God, through divine instruction, is telling them to go keep being a witness. And it's not being, again, it's not in this position of religion, but Peter, go and tell people who I am. We know that Peter had a very specific relationship with Jesus as he knew him. Peter is now the witness of all that Jesus did, all that he taught, the miracles that he performed, those instructions, the empowering, and now he's going, and he's not witnessing a new religious doctrine, he's witnessing, providing testimony. This is who I know Jesus to be. How can I do anything else but other than speak who he is? This is why we talk about is, is our daily prayer, our daily pursuit ought to be the knowledge of our Lord and not for head knowledge, but this knowledge of experience and relationship and go and preach this message 
the words of this life. And then there's a bunch of comedy in here in verse 21 because when they heard that, so they entered the temple in the early morning and they taught and here the high priest and those with him, they came and called the council together and then all the elders of the children of Israel, they sent to the prison to have them brought in. So just imagine Sanhedrin is kind of like this half moon seats, these 70 guys and Um, You know, their attendance and everything that's going on and the witnesses are to be brought in before them. And here they are arrayed in all of their pomp, right? And all of their religious holiness and all of their religious garb and all of their civic and government authority. And they're there waiting. Guards, go get the prisoners. Bring them in here. Nobody's home. Nobody's in prison. I mean, you can imagine the circumstances and the chatter that's going on. They sense... The officers came. They did not find him in prison. They returned and reported this would be an uncomfortable conversation for sure. Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. This was a Roman context. These guards probably would have been executed. Verse 24, now when the high priest, the captain of the temple... And the chief priests heard these things. They wondered. They were utterly perplexed, is the word, what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, look, the men you put into prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Note that. The apostles are in absolute obedience to what the angel told them to do. Go stand in the temple and speak to all the people All the words of this life. And where do they find these guys? They're standing in the temple and they're teaching the people. And we know the content of that is all the words of this life. I love it. Verse 26. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, without force. And note this. Why? Because they feared the people. Lest they should be stoned. And there's a lot of cultural things going on here. And just the circumstances of the day and of history of why everybody's coming, why they're listening, the miracles that are being performed. Again, trying to keep all this in context. Verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them. So remember, this is Caiaphas. He knows exactly who Jesus is was he knows exactly what he did to Jesus he knows exactly the testimony in regards to his resurrection he knows what his followers have been doing he knows that he is in his fury and now he finally has these men before him and all the authority that he has as the high priest of God which is completely ironic because who is Jesus the high priest 38 times in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is referred to as the high priest, the true authority. Here's this man that should be subject to his authority. And out of his mouth comes, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. This is their crime. The crime that they are being tried for here, the crime that they are being accused of is teaching in the name of Jesus Christ. 
I just, this is, this is one of these realities of life that I shake my head at because I don't get it. I sit in the Gospels and I read them. I was exposed to who Jesus Christ was and I responded to him. I know that that's a gift of God. But I have a real, I just, I don't understand the heart that hears about Jesus in truth. His, his compassion for people. For the sick, for the poor, for the orphans, for the window, widows, for the confused, for the demon-possessed. Didn't matter, I mean, for everybody, just the heart of Jesus Christ. Why does anybody give their middle finger to Jesus? I don't get it. But here, the one who is supposed to be representing God, that is what, I mean, I know that it's vulgar, so forgive me for the vulgarity, but that's, that's, the, that's how affronted my mind is in regards to responding to Jesus in that way. Why do people miss this? I don't know. I know that there's a spiritual nature to this, that minds can get blinded, minds are blinded, hearts are hard. Sitting in guilt, sitting in shame, and digging in heels against this man because he stands in opposition to what he believes to be true. Refusing to even say this name. And look at Peter's response. This is, this is very simple. It's very straightforward. Um, but it's very important. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree on a cross. Him... God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. In verse 33, it says, when they heard this, they were furious. And plotted to kill them. Here's the contrast of hearts. Told you in chapter 2 where it says that when they heard the word that their hearts were pierced. This word for furious is that they were sawn asunder. Think about the, think about the different imagery that's given. So some hear the word of God. And the heart gets surgically pierced. The hardness, the callous. There's a way where the, the word of God, we're told in Hebrews, that it divine, divides to the division of the bone and marrow, to the soul and the spirit. Very, very specific. Capable of piercing the heart of, of, hardest of hearts. And the heart that is pierced is the one that sits in this position of, Lord, what do you want me to do? My heart was pierced with the guilt and the conviction of sin. Here, these men are sitting in the guilt of their action and the shame of their action. 
Peter is standing before this religious group and some of this religious group has responded to Jesus Christ in faith. Most of them are still in hardness and rebellion. Peter is standing there and saying, Caiaphas, you murdered Jesus. Caiaphas, say his name. He's not this man. It's not somebody else's fault that his blood was poured out through his scourging and through his beating on that cross. You, Caiaphas, sit in the guilt that you murdered your Lord. And all of us have to sit in those words. Because Jesus told us that he came, our God, before the foundation of the world. This was his plan A. I am going to become like the men and the women that I created in my image. I am going to become like them for the purpose of giving my body over for their crimes. You, me, Caiaphas, Hitler, go on down through the list of the good people and the bad people that you know. We are the ones, ultimately, that as our God intended and purposed and predetermined to create us in that intent knew that he was going to give himself over to the obedience of this death and this death on the cross despising the shame but so that uses the words here so that repentance and forgiveness of sins can be given not just to the nation of Israel, but to the nation of Israel as Peter is speaking to them, but to Jews and Gentiles alike, to every single human being. Again, as we talk about the, the reality of what it is that we are doing this morning, why we chose to gather in the name of Jesus Christ, it's in response to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And here, Peter is being honest with other human beings, not saying, it's okay that you killed Jesus because that's what he intended and he was going to rise from the dead anyways. No, sit in it. Understand what your sin cost. It cost the death of our Lord. And then the glory of it, the beauty of it, the power of it. He didn't just die, but three days later, he rose again. And he revealed himself to his followers as they're sitting in doubt and lack of understanding. As we can sit in doubt and lack of understanding of what this means, who he is, why. And then what am I supposed to do with this life that he's given to me and to you? In regards to the truth, each human being is, saying, is being told, respond. Jesus' desire for every single human being is repentance. Come to me 
for salvation. What do you need salvation from? What do you need deliverance from? What do you need freedom from? Self, sin, death, culture, hurts, pains, the unknowns of life, worry, anxiety, go on down through your list. He's Savior. I've come. He came to give repentance. He came to give the forgiveness of sins. My sins, your sins, all sins. He is exalted to the right hand of God, this position of authority, this position of power. He is prince. He is first. He is savior. We are his witnesses of these things. His Holy Spirit will be given to everybody who responds to him in obedience. And these hearts, rather than being pierced, they're furious. How dare you teach me? How dare you tell me who God is? How dare you tell me who I am? How dare you tell me what I should and shouldn't do? How dare you? Furious to the point that they want to kill him. This is what I was talking about earlier. Then one stands up from this council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people and commanded, the, uh, them, to be, commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. So he brings up a couple examples. He says, and he said to them, men of Israel, listen, take heed to yourselves. And this is where we need to take heed to ourselves also. In our relationship with who Jesus is, what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain and all who obeyed him were scattered and they came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And, uh, you can look these guys up if you're curious. Josephus gives us a little bit of insight, but we're not going to sit in that this morning. Verse 38 says, And now I say to you, so this is Gamaliel, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan, if the purpose of all that's going on, or this work is of men, if it's out of men, it'll come to nothing. It'll be unloosed. But if it is of God, if it is out of God, you cannot overthrow it. You cannot unloose it. Lest you even be found, and here it is, to fight against God. Literally, unless you be found God fighting. And they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, and they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in, the, and, in, and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So here's this Gamaliel. He's a teacher. He is standing up, at least in this context, and he's providing some wisdom that we could all agree with. 
At the same time, he's a fence sitter. He's kind of got this, let's wait and see what's going to come of this attitude. He's sitting in the testimony of what's going on in the culture of these men. And he is not responding to Jesus in faith, but he's got this, I don't know what's going on here. Only God can do these kinds of things. Gentlemen, take heed to yourselves. You don't want to find yourselves fighting against God. You don't want to find yourself God fighting. This guy, we are told later on by Paul that Paul was raised at the feet of Gamaliel. And this is where I used earlier about being careful who your teacher is. Paul was raised underneath the authority of this man. Sitting at his feet means I listened to his teaching. This is a very well-respected, very well-revered, known in history man, Gamaliel. He's famous as a rabbi with the Jews in his time and in later times. And Paul said, that man was my teacher. That's who I learned about God from. That's who I learned about the word of God from. That's who I learned how to serve God from. Gamaliel. But Paul had what in his life? He had a major transition. Whereas he says that he was raised at the feet of Gamaliel, that's the testimony of who he was. Because the testimony of who Paul is in that moment that he's saying, he's saying, Jesus, Rabbi Jesus is my teacher. And again, for the apostles in this context, they're looking at their religious leaders and they are saying, You are not my teacher. Jesus is my teacher. The Holy Spirit of promise that has been given to me through faith in Jesus Christ, he is my teacher. You are not my teacher. Sit at the feet underneath the authority, underneath the words, underneath the heart, the love, the grace, the compassion, the instruction, the beauty, the honor, the glory, the hope of the words of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Don't find yourself in this position where you fight against God and be able to confess before yourself and others that you do fight against God daily. Because you're a human being just like I am. Do you struggle with, I want to do this, but God's telling me to do that? This is this wrestling that we have with the Lord. We sit in a culture that I began earlier that we're talking about that will try and teach us to use our hearts and our mouths and our lives to throw stones, to throw hate, to throw anger at social issues that are just symptoms of the root problems of the human heart. Don't find yourself fighting against God by throwing stones at the head of your enemies. Find yourself in like-minded unity in God's love by praying for those who hate Jesus, who hate you, who hate the church, who hate good, who promote evil. How was your heart pierced? Was it through some religious wingnut that put you in a headlock and said, follow this man? Or was it through the Holy Spirit of God who pierced your heart with his love and his grace and his beauty 
and his holiness. So when I look at Jesus again, I look, I look at the pages and say, Lord, I want to look just like you. I want that kind of compassion. I want that kind of gentleness. I want that kind of boldness. I want that truth. I want you. I want the name of Jesus as my savior, as my foundation, as my refuge. I want him and him alone. And again, look at the boldness. So we talk, you know, we've all been spanked, disciplined as children. Some of you might have gotten a switch or a belt or a wooden spoon or a hand. This is adult discipline that the disciples are getting. Can you imagine we're going to come up and we're going to strap you to this little tower right here. We're going to strip your shirt off your back. and We are going to whip you 39 times. Some people died from this beating that these men received. It's not the scourging that Jesus received. It's a very serious flogging that was intended to intimidate and intended to make, force the disciples into a position, respect my authority. And these men leave that and they do exactly the opposite of what any rational human heart ought to do in that circumstance. They leave that and they praise God. This is what's called an oxymoron. It is a sharp, foolish thing to do and thing to say because it makes no rational sense whatsoever. These men were not able to get up out of that because of their own physical strength. These men were not able to get up out of that because they are um, trying to fulfill their laws of what they're supposed to do in regards to their relationship with Jesus. These men got up from that position of pain, physical, mental, and spiritual pain as they are attempting to love people in the name of Jesus. They got up from that circumstance and they were able to praise God and to thank him that they were considered worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. It makes, there's no rational sense to it. What, it, what, it, what the revelation in regards to their hearts is who it is that they are responding to. They're responding to the God that created them. They're responding to the very God that they got to sit with, that they got to listen to, that they got to witness and experience his life and his heart. Even in their confusion and their lack of understanding of what he was doing and why he was doing it, their lack of understanding of his death on the cross to begin with, how the Holy Spirit has filled them and been speaking to them and encouraging them and giving them boldness, boldness of speech, boldness of action. They're responding to the truth of who Jesus is. We're not witnessing some kind of man-religious movement. We are witnessing the very God of gods do what he and only he can do, which is to make us human beings into his image. 
these men were able to get up out of that position and they were able to still pray for their enemies. They didn't, they didn't come up with, let's, let's rally the truth. We have 5,000 people in Jerusalem. Let's go kill Caiaphas. Let's, let's go get Caiaphas unseated from his authority. The boldness that they continued in, their bold, verbal, active courage is they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus in the name of Jesus and the name of Jesus alone. That is why we exist. This is why we are here this morning. This is why we're going to sing. This is why we're going to fellowship with one another. This is why we're going to love each other. This is why we're going to engage with our communities for the name of Jesus. Not for a political movement, not for a social movement. But that God would have his will in this mind, in this heart, and in my actions, and our actions together. Jesus is absolutely beautiful in every way. And his love is what compels us to love him back. Beautiful. Worship team, come on up. Father, I love you so much, and I am so thankful for Jesus. You are here. You are present. Lord, you've heard all that has been spoken. Thank you for revealing yourself to me. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for giving us one another in this place where we can come and we can sing about your exaltation, your glory, where you are seated, the very God of gods who created the heavens and the earth. You have continually exposed your beauty and your holiness and your kindness and your mercy and your patience with humanity. And we ask you to continue to do so, Lord. Lord, those that need to sit in that conviction or they're in this position of fighting against you, Lord, in your tenderness and in your boldness, speak to those minds and speak to those hearts this morning. Those that need to repent, Lord, Those that need to be reconciled with you in their thoughts, in their words, in their actions. You wash them through the blood of your son this morning, through his sacrifice. You are faithful and just to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Lord, we are asking that you would fill us with the fullness of God right now that you enable us in mind and heart and mouth and spirit and in action, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth because you are worthy to be worshiped. Father, don't let anything that we do be because of a tradition of man or because we think we're doing... stuff, I don't know, Lord. All that we want to do is bring you honor, to bring you our love, to respond to your beauty. So help us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.